Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Miss the show, no problem. On point and on the podcast. Did China interfere with our election? We've had several examples to suggest, yes, that did happen. We'll talk about why Justin Trudeau must demand an investigation into something that shouldn't be partisan because it's about the good of our democracy. So we'll talk about that. We talked with, with uh, Terry Glavin about how our problems didn't start with the kidnapping of the two Michaels and it won't end, not unless the Trudeau government changes its whole approach with this regime that several of our Ottawa elite have cozied up to over the years for their interests and not the interests of this country. And foodflation, it is a thing, and what you're putting on your plate is on the rise. This wasn't an election issue. It certainly should be, because this isn't all about climate change, as the experts say. It's in large part because of costly government policies that hurt the most vulnerable people they claim to want to help. Let's get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. All right, great to have you here back with us. Question is, did China interfere with our elections? Which is a pretty stupid question. Of course they did. Not only did they make a very blatant threat to this country that we'd face consequences if Aaron O'Toole and his tough Chinese policies got in, we also saw Chinese Ambassador Kong Peiyu pipe in and accuse O'Toole of hyping up issues and smearing China. But now, a number of conservative candidates have come forward saying that they were targeted by these aggressive disinformation campaigns carried out on platforms like WeChat that cost them their seats. This is not a partisan issue. It should not be. This should be about protecting our democracy. So will Justin Trudeau investigate? Tasha Kierden joining us now, principal at Navigator, Navigator Limited, also a columnist for the National Post. And you wrote about this. Um, this is not an issue about sour grapes. The, I, I don't care if, if any party is uh, interfered with by any country. It's about protecting our democracy. It absolutely is. And uh, I don't think there's any question, Alex, either, that there was interference. Um, you mentioned the candidates. There were several of them uh, in the, the GTA as well um, who felt, uh, who saw all of a sudden these conversations happening on WeChat or websites that popped up that um, spread disinformation, things like saying that uh, the Conservative Party, if elected, would ban WeChat, for example, completely. It's a network um, similar to, uh, to uh, other you know, online providers that we're used to, uh, Facebook, whatever, where people, people talk to each other and they uh, use it often to, to stay in touch with relatives in China. So you can imagine how this would go over if, if the platform itself was banned and you couldn't message your family back in China. So this kind of stuff was circulating and uh, it's, you know, it, it's the kind of the kind of thing that how do you how do you police it how do you stop it um, especially because it's in a different language it's very hard but a lot of these sites were anonymous a lot of sites were impossible to trace but it's clearly that the number and the type of thing that was going on there was some organized interference in our election. 
Yeah, I mean, disinfo watch um, Marcus Kolga's operation. I mean, they uncovered that Russia has been, you know, playing games and interfering by sowing mm -hmm. disinformation and division through vaccines and whipping up a lot of those protests that we saw. Uh, but Sam Cooper, uh, who's written a book extensively on this, he took us through and explained all the links and how the We platform works and how corrosive and uh, cancerous these disinformation campaigns were. The question I come to is, you know, why has it been met with such a shrug? It's not even made a headline during the election, barely a blip on the radar. I mean, if you think um, you don't care if it helps the liberals now, I mean, tomorrow it could be the party you support. But again, it undermines our democracy. I'm just kind of surprised by the um, complete cavalier, you know, disregard Canadians show to this. I agree. I think it was, you know, it didn't. I think because partly it was happening in places like WeChat, it was happening in Chinese, uh, in Mandarin, it was happening in a way that the average, the average Canadian, the average in the sense, a person who is not necessarily of Chinese Canadian heritage or can connect with that community would not have noticed. It would not have been happening in their universe, um, in their social universe. And consequently, it didn't catch fire in terms of a huge political issue. Now, in, in the Chinese Canadian community, it was a huge political issue. But again, Reporting on it was not done um, in the mainstream media. There were some articles that came out. There was some polling that was done, mm -hmm. too. Um, Quido Maggi of Main Street noticed there was a shift in the preference of Chinese Canadians in terms of voter preference very early on. But it only became clear, he said, towards the end of the election that something was was obviously happening to, to sway this um, in some orchestrated way. So we were asleep on this. And I agree it needs more attention because, to your point, it's not about China per se. It is about any country doing this kind of thing. U.S. elections were no exception. They had lots of people interfering there, uh, you know, and uh, it's something that we have to find a way to, if not, you know, stem at the, when, it, when it's happening, at least take people to task afterwards. Because otherwise, yes, you're essentially saying it's okay to, to influence people unduly in our, in our democratic process, which vitiates that process. Yeah, and a couple of these conservative candidates were Asian, not all, but but certainly mm -hmm. they seemed to go after anybody who spoke out strongly against China's aggression. And, and no, this is not yeah. about the Chinese people. It's always about the Chinese government, which has proved, obviously, time and again, it does not play by any rules, and it shows the lengths it will go to to get what it wants. You know, example, the Michaels. Uh, but the you know they will only become more brazen the weaker we are. And given what you've heard you know, since the election from the Trudeau government, do you have any cause for uh, confidence that, that they would look into this? They should. And I think all, all parties should. The, the government should absolutely investigate this. It cannot let this stand. It cannot let this go. However, as we know, um, Trudeau has been very timid when it comes to China. Yes, Meng, Wan, Meng Wanzhou was, uh, was arrested. Uh, she was detained. Um, but in terms of other, you know, rebukes by the by the Chinese government subsequently. I mean, Trudeau was called, I think, a little boy at one point by, I don't know if it was Kong Peiyu or, or another uh, Chinese official. Uh, you know, they've treated Canada and they've treated liberals with great disdain. And it seems that we just, or they just take it. And I don't fully know why that is. I think, though, it is really detrimental. I think part of it was because the two Michaels were imprisoned and there was a sense of rocking the boat would not help anybody. Well, they're free now. And there are still, however... I think 115 Canadians who are being detained in China mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. Um, so it's not like, you know, there's, there's, there's no need to, to try and, and help Canadians get out of that country who are facing detention that would, you know, in Canada, probably it's the laws that wouldn't even exist. They're the reasons that are being held to detain them. 
But at the same time, you've got to draw a line in the sand because, and I think a lot of countries are starting to draw that line. Um, you know, you're seeing the U.S. definitely, I mean, starting to say, look, enough is enough. Um, we're going to form other alliances. Australia, they're, you know, they're like, no, we've got to do something because otherwise you let China be a bully and just, you know, do what it wants. And it's not in the interest even of the Chinese people per se. I mean, it is, like you said, it's the Chinese mm-hmm. acting in its own self-interest. Yeah. And and it's not just our electoral system. I mean, they are infiltrating all of our systems, be it our Winnipeg lab, uh, be it our universities, be it, our, you know, stealing our state secrets. They aren't our friends. Um, I just would like to see, and you've seen the polling on it, Canadians overwhelmingly would support Trudeau if he got tougher with them. The question becomes, you know, will he? But this, for me, should not be a partisan issue. And I think everyone should kind of take a collective stand back and say, you know, this is about the greater good of our of our country's future. It is. And there have been a couple of people in commenting on this who've said, you know, uh, Chinese Canadians also were concerned about anti-Chinese racism. They maybe felt the Conservative Party wasn't as strong on diversity issues and others. And maybe there was some of that. But I think we can't let an- accusations of anti-Chinese racism, of which there have been, there has been throughout the pandemic, an increase. Well, there has. But there have also been campaigns to whip up that racism. That's another right. tool the Chinese government does exactly. to divide. I would, yeah. I would say one has to be careful to simply say, well, you know, that's the reason. Or if you, the minute you speak it out against China, it's racism. It is not. Yeah. Um, the two are separate. And, and that is, I think, something that has to be made very clear. And I think the prime minister has an obligation to make that clear and say, look, we stand against anti-Chinese racism. Absolutely. But this is an anti-Chinese. Look, when the, when the Soviet Union was being the big bad cop on the world stage, nobody accused the U.S. of being racist because they spoke out against Russia. So what is the difference here? Just because you have people of one particular ethnic origin, you had that before, and that there was no yeah. racism tag applied. This is about an ideology. It's about oppressing people. It's about a police state, and that's what China is. And, you know, those are all values that the rest of the world stands against. I'm certainly glad you wrote about it. I know I will continue talking about it, as will a few others. I just hope more people collectively get on board. It's an important topic. Tasha, always appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Tasha Kierden, you can read this in the National Post. It's all about whether or not Justin Trudeau should be looking into electoral interference by China, which is, of course, yes, he should. Coming up on the other side of the break, we get to Terry Glavin. He says, you know, the sooner we're honest about China, the sooner we stop being their punching bag. But he also paints a picture of just how far back our political elite have been in getting into bed with Chinese, uh, you know, the regime at their interests and not this country. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Stay with us here on Point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. Obviously, as we uh, develop our plan for governing, as we pull together our positioning, um, this will have an impact. And uh, we look forward to uh, sharing a decision on on many different issues, including on uh, telecommunications and Huawei uh, in the coming weeks. Well, that is Justin Trudeau twisting himself into a pretzel trying to avoid saying the word Huawei. Say it with me, Huawei. Yet despite being asked many, many times in his first press conference if he's going to change his government's approach to China or cancel Huawei, so far his government is being purposely vague. And yes, we can celebrate the release of the two Michaels. I mean, that's fine. But in no way does it end the threat of China to this country. And it also isn't the start of our problems with China. This started way before the princess of Huawei's arrest. 
our problems with China started the second our political elite decided to climb into bed with China and put their own interests in front of Canadian interests. And as Terry Glavin has been writing about, and he wrote about it in his latest McLean's piece, I mean, the sooner we stop pretending that Trudeau's government has solved this saga, the faster we can have an honest conversation about how we prevent being China's punching bag in the future. Terry Glavin joining me now. He's a journalist with the National Post, Ottawa citizen, and McLean's also a senior fellow at the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights. Good to have you, Terry. Hi, how are you doing? Um, I don't know if you uh, noticed Mr. Trudeau yesterday kind of squirming around and, and certainly Mr. Garneau the day before, but they are doing everything they can not to answer simple questions on will you get tougher with China? Yeah, it's um, one of the things that I find very peculiar about this is that, uh, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. A lot of people seem to think that, um, you know, after the mics were kidnapped, that, uh, you know, of course, Trudeau couldn't be too cheeky. You know, he couldn't really do or say anything very much. There were delicate behind-the-scenes negotiations. He didn't want to upset China. Um, and in fact, that's actually when people kind of started paying attention, I think. But mm-hmm. there's no, there was no change in Canada's policy, no change in Prime Minister Trudeau's demeanor, uh, no change whatsoever in his tone or his tenor. Uh, the thing about the kidnapping of the mics actually kind of provided him with the pretext uh, to carry on in, the, in this strangely supine relationship uh, in, in, in a way that he had from the very beginning. Um, people forget this. And, and I think a lot of people maybe never did notice that, um, you know, why, while um, uh, Stephen Harper's sort of organizing principle for, uh, for Canada was his, his whole plan was to turn Canada into an energy superpower. And Trudeau's whole organizing principle was to integrate the Canadian economy uh, with the Chinese economy and um, uh, to develop, you know, more intimate uh, uh, political and economic and cultural ties with China. And I, I, I have to say, I don't see any evidence whatsoever that fundamentally he's changed course at all. Uh, yeah, I think he still is committed to that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think people thought he was being cute when he told the ladies on Ladies Night back in 2014, uh, you know, that he admires the Chinese dictatorship because he got a lot of laughs. But it wasn't something to laugh at. That should have been a red flag right there. But he is, as you have written extensively, um, you go through the whole relationship. It doesn't just start with Trudeau, albeit he seems gung-ho for this whole go big on China. It goes back to his own father, um, and a relationship he wanted with China. But through the Chrétien years, the Martin years, uh, they have been very cozy because it's been very good to a lot of um, politicians to be cozy yeah. with China while turning a blind eye to the, the threat that is now upon us. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's quite remarkable the way, the way, well, for instance, Canadians have been convinced that uh, China is our second largest trading partner. And, it's very, very important for, for our economy to be uh, on an even keel with uh, Xi Jinping. Uh, in fact, Europe is, 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 is Canada's second largest trading partner. and We do twice as much trade with Europe as we do with China. And when you add it up, um, our exports and imports, um, only about 4 or 5% uh, is, is China. It's, it's not 
it's extremely important to a certain kind of nexus of corporations uh, and uh, the power elites in Montreal, the power corporation, the Demare family, Jean Chrétien, as you say, SNC-Lavalin, uh, and a number of other corporations that, um, that fit very, very tightly with the old guard of the Liberal, Liberal Party. And it's, it's just bred in the bone with these people. I mean, he grew, he grew up in that culture. As you say, his father, you know, sort of pioneered uh, diplomatic relations with China, played a very instrumental role in normalizing uh, diplomatic relations with China, kind of helped to usher uh, China into the United Nations Security Council, uh, the whole formula that allowed uh, uh, other members of the United Nations to recognize China's claim on Taiwan without conceding to it. That was a Canadian invention. And then, mm-hmm. and then after the, the Tiananmen massacres, it was Jean Chrétien's job to kind of rehabilitate China in the corporate boardrooms of the world. And, you know, he led all of those Team Canada missions to China. And, uh, you know, as soon as he, he left government after the sponsorship scandal, he went immediately to China. And he's been working for China, doing deals with China ever since. Yeah. Um, same, you know, they're all, they, they, there's quite a few of them that are like that. You know, John McCallum, for instance, you know, when he got appointed mm-hmm. ambassador to China, when he'd already been a cabinet minister, he considered it a promotion. He'd already taken $73,000 in free trips to China. You know, there, it's, it's just very, very deep. Uh, and uh, it, it's embedded. It's, it's bred in the bone with these people. And I don't really know what it's going to take. I think the penny really has dropped. I mean, I'm just a journalist and really, you know, our job is to bear witness. And um, I think there's a handful of us in Canada who've, who've been on this file for quite a few years now. And, uh, I mean, it, I take a lot of it as testimony to the sort of withering of journalism generally. That mm-hmm. we, There's only about half a dozen journalists yeah. in this country that are sort of on the case. Um, and, you know, not even necessarily full time. Um, but we have, you know, we have a situation in this country where only one in 10 Canadians wants to see deeper relationships with China. Yeah. And uh, 68%, I think, of Canadians uh, don't want to have anything to do with China. Um, uh, you know, what is it? 87% of Canadians have a very low opinion of the Chinese regime, regime very unfavorable, unfavorable opinion of the Chinese regime. So whenever this becomes kind of newsworthy, uh, it's a very, very difficult thing for, the, for, for Trudeau and his circle, because this is an issue in which he is um, on the opposite side of, uh, of, of public opinion, on the, you know, right on the opposite side of public opinion. Right, and, right, uh, and on the opposite side of our allies. But, you know, Garneau and Trudeau, they'll tell us, you know, that they stood with, they're standing with Taiwan, they stood with Hong Kong, which is an absolute lie. Um, they've been ignored by our Five Eye allies. You see in the AUKUS deal that was struck without us, and again, it was met by, a, you know, with a shrug by Trudeau during the campaign. 
um, what I sense is that they see the release of the Michaels as a, a political win that will help give a boost to their their declining uh, numbers. But I also get the sense that they think they can just let things cool off and it will go back to business as usual. Uh, does he have a choice in this? Well, I, I um, it's it's very peculiar if you listen to the kind of language uh that uh mark garneau and uh and uh and trudeau are using uh to describe where they think the relationship is going to go now it's simply a replication of the talking points that they've been using all along and it's very very similar to the language that you're hearing from the various uh propaganda organs of the chinese communist party cgtn xinhua Global Times and so on, um, and 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 you know when as, as recently as last week, when uh, when 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 he was asked what you know what's Canada's position on China's attempt to sabotage Taiwan's mm-hmm. membership in the Trans Pacific Partnership, you know he said, well we don't have one we're not going to you know it's uh, we're not going to it's <laughs> we're not going to take sides. And I think yeah. you, know, you mentioned the alienation, Canada's alienation from our traditional partners. Um, this is a big deal. This is a very, very big deal. The um, Huawei alone, um, you know, the Americans, the Japanese, the British, half of Europe, the New Zealanders, Australia, all understand very, very clearly that you cannot allow uh, an intelligence gathering and sort of security state arm of the Chinese Communist Party deep within your 5G internet connectivity. Uh, you, you won't be able to communicate with one another securely for, to, to begin with. And yeah. so, and you know, we've been dithering about this. And, you know, there was the last time the Americans kind of drew a red line around this was during the negotiations for a renewal of the North American Free Trade Agreement. The Americans made plain to Canada that, you know, there's one thing you're not going to be able to do, I'm afraid, and you're not going to be able to sneak China into this agreement by the back door. So if you're going to negotiate a free trade agreement with China, which, of course, is actually impossible because you you can't have a free trade agreement with an unfree state. It's a slave state. But in any case, what the Americans said was that if you're going to try to do this, I'm afraid the very least you're going to have to do is tell us about it. You're going to have to clue us in about exactly what you're talking about. And if we don't like Mexico and the United States doesn't like the agreement that you're negotiating with China, um, then you'll have to leave and we'll continue. We'll just persist. It'll be a bilateral agreement and you can can go and. You can go and sit in Xi Jinping's lap and uh, <laughs> amuse yourself uh, to your heart's content. But uh, that's play the way with, it would be. The and of course, yeah. of course, you know, there was a big uproar and Beijing was furious. Uh, but the Americans just said, I'm sorry, that's just the way it's going to be. And I think this time around, we're hearing the same sort of thing from the Biden administration, from the Brits, from the Australians. Uh, it would be New Zealand as well. They've taken a very clear position on Huawei. Uh, but, you know, New Zealand is a tiny little country that is, is overwhelmingly dependent on trade with China. 
it's a you know it's population of Toronto. Um, so you know there's only so far that we can expect New Zealand to go, but we haven't even gone as far as New Zealand. Um, yeah, and which if says, we don't speak volumes, yeah, yeah, and if we don't uh, if we don't act like a grown-up country, if we don't abide by alliances that have sustained Canada's uh, economic uh, uh, and political sovereignty and security for the last 72 years, um, then I'm afraid, you know, that the Americans and everybody else is saying, then you might as well go and join the other side. And I, I and this is actually something that I, I'm still not sure that most Canadians are fully aware of, uh, how deep the rot has spread. Well, I certainly appreciate you uh, enlightening us to it. I wish I had more time, Terry. I could talk to you for two hours, but uh, i got to pay the bills here, and um, okay. we'll have you on again. But I very much appreciate you breaking it down for us. Thank you. Nice talking to you, Alex. There's Terry Glavin. If you want to follow the issues, he's one of the very few writing about it. The other, of course, is our Sam Cooper, who we have on quite often. And again, uh, it's, a, it's a story that's not going away, but it has massive implications for us. So follow up coming up foodflation yeah it's a thing and uh you probably noticed by now how expensive food is getting and it's going to get worse because it's going to be further aggravated by supply chain holdups that are really starting to leave shelves empty and a number of foods are uh, becoming unavailable so we'll talk about this of what the issues are and when we might see a return to normal if we will see one we'll do that next stay with us here alex pearson on point and this is global news radio about the biggest, most important economic policy this government, if re-elected, would move forward. You'll forgive me if I don't think about monetary policy. Uh, you'll understand that I think about families. That is Justin Trudeau, and that comment will never get old. And it should have been the end of Trudeau's campaign, but of course it was met with a shrug. You know, but during the campaign, Trudeau was asked, how is government going to deal with rising inflation? But he only worries about families. I mean, he just doesn't seem to understand that monetary issues are issues that are number one with Canadians because rising inflation is crushing families. Cost of living is going up because of it and it is making everything more expensive. Plus then you add in all the bad, bad policies like the carbon tax and the clean fuel tax that further drive up prices. Everything is getting more expensive and a new report by Dalhousie University shows that food inflation alone is now nearing the 5% mark and when you factor and add up all those numbers for the average family of four that's an extra 700 bucks in extra costs for food. So if you're on a fixed income, that literally means you may not be eating. And if you are, you're eating really kind of not the best food. John Keogh is founder over at Chantala. He's an expert in all things global supply chains, also a professor at McGill University Center for Convergence of Health and Economics. Hello there, John. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. Boomers and us uh, Gen X folks seem to be noticing this a little bit more. Maybe that's because the Gen Z and millennials still kind of look to things like Uber Eats. Maybe they don't go as regularly to the grocery store as much. But when you look at the price of food, be it meat, which is so expensive, and now folks are skipping it, fish is just completely unaffordable, vegetables and fruits also getting very expensive. So as I say, if you're on a fixed income, the ability to buy healthy food is now almost getting out of reach. Yeah, that's right. And to be honest, Alex, I think that COVID just made existing problems more visible. So 
supply chains are very complex supply ecosystems. You know, when we talk about supply chains, we have that we think about linear supply chains, but they're not linear anymore. They're very complex supply ecosystems that comprise of a lot, you know, ingredients, raw material, everything from the land to the water um, to, you know, day laborers, uh, migrant workers, and so on, and a whole load of other services that are actually needed to bring a product to the market. And if you go into a lockdown in a particular country, you know, you're not going to get the migrant workers in there. You, you need assurance services to verify that the food is safe to export uh, to Canada. That's not happening right now. So there's a higher risk to food safety, higher risk of food fraud. And in fact, uh, food fraud we know is increasing. But and then you have and then you have uh, it, it's bringing to the fore also something that was happening already. And this was um, consolidation within the meat industry, which the lar- largest price increases are actually occurring in the meat industry. Yeah. And, you know, starting last year, the U.S. government went after the four big guys because the consolidation in the meat industry is being blamed for a lot of the price increases. And in fact, I think it's now 85% of meat in the U.S. is supplied by four companies. But those four companies have been fined and have paid massive fines for uh, collusion. So you're, you're talking about significant antitrust issues that have nothing got to do with COVID, but are coming to the fore now because COVID is squeezing us more from an inflation perspective. And then finally, the other major point is shrinkflation. We've always had shrinkflation. And shrinkflation is a form of yes. hidden inflation, you know, higher costs, intense competition and so on. So all of these Yeah, I pay grade A steak, steak prices, but my steak is about the size of a loony. Yeah, yeah. So they're just becoming yeah. more visible. That, that's really what's happening. Yeah, it, it's crazy because you read some of the stats like four in 10 now rely on coupons to be able to afford things like meat. Um, yeah. And a lot of people are, are turning to that sale rack where, you know, you get two or three day old vegetables and fruits. And I know the blame gets put on, you know, climate change as the issue, but we never seem to point out that there's a lot of bad government policy, like the carbon tax, like the clean fuel tax. Those things never get cited because everyone thinks, well, we're helping the the, the globe, uh, but they don't seem to care about how it is hurting, uh, you know, middle kind of income or lower income average day people. That's right. Somebody has to pay for these in the end, and it's the uh, the people who can least afford it. Uh, the prices get just pushed down to them. You know, an EU spokesperson this morning, the person that heads up the greenhouse gas uh, program at the EU, uh, he mentioned, and I thought this was quite interesting, he said, do we want change to come from a disaster, or do we want change mm-hmm. to come by way of design? And I think what he was really implying there is that we need government, a coherent government intervention, not only in one country, but across the world. And as you know, and I know, it's 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 almost impossible to, to get agreement across the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the provinces uh, in Canada, um, let alone, you know, working with uh, with other partners. So it's a very difficult task, but you're, you're absolutely right. Bad policy will have bad outcomes. Yeah, it's just no one ever kind of takes a step back to say, well, who's is going to hurt more? And so when you hear the, the prime minister, these politicians out campaigning for the middle class and cost of living, it's just they're all canned talking points that mean nothing because what's actually in place now is really hurting those who can least afford it. Um, and then there are the risks, you know, um, of things that we just can't get anymore because of, of, as you had pointed out just a little bit earlier, the gumming up of supply chains in, in um, of our supply chains over the pandemic. Like I was reading that you can't get Vietnamese noodles anymore. And so we're finding, you know, restaurants and places uh, where they buy specialty foods, all those things are, are not necessarily guaranteed right now. How bad is the backlog and what other shortages do you see coming down the pipe? 
Oh, it's going to get much, much worse. As you know, I have uh, a Vietnamese uh, part in my family as well. And mm-hmm. uh, I love my, my pho and the noodles. But, <laughs> yeah. But there's much more of a problem coming from uh, from Vietnam as well. If just if we just look at Vietnam for a moment, I'll talk about China in a moment. But you know, Apple has announced the new iPhone 13, uh, but they have you know new cameras on that, and I think three or four cameras on it. The components for those are actually made in Vietnam. So now you have that knock-on effect. People who were expecting an iPhone 13 are going to have delays because of uh, problems in Vietnam. Vietnam also produces furniture, you know, textiles, apparel, shoes, electronics. And uh, they're the largest exporter of, uh, of, of, of coffee outside of Brazil. Brazil has one type mm. of coffee and they have Robusta yeah. in Vietnam. But also things like uh, cashews. There's about eight mm-hmm. products or eight, eight commodities that Vietnam is the number one exporter. Now, our processor and exporter in the world are not the, the original source of those products, but they process them. So we're going to have a lot of problems coming from Vietnam. You know, this morning it was announced that their GDP for the third quarter is down 6.17%. And uh, it's not looking good at all. The biggest, the bigger problem is, uh, I think, in China, because mm-hmm. what was talked about this morning on uh, on, on a uh, greenhouse gas climate change uh, event was that China has had the most significant uh, natural disasters in the past year, the costing tens of billions of dollars. But if we, you know, and that's not really broadly publicized, right? We don't hear an awful lot about that. But what we are hearing about now is the power outages in China and factories closing down because they have what California would call the brownouts. So, and then you have, you know, making that problem worse, you have a shortage of shipping containers. And and then you have the real estate instability from the Evergrande, this company, again, a lack of governance in, in China by the, the Communist Party. Um, they let this company borrow $300 billion and have that on debt. So that's having global a global impact. I think uh, coming up to Christmas, we're going to have much, much more supply constraints. Um, so as the old saying goes, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's, got, it's just going to get worse from here on. God. Don't go out and run out and get your toilet paper. Just, just don't panic yet. But nonetheless, yeah, it's going to be a long time till the collateral damage of this pandemic and I think the lack of planning by uh, those in charge is settled. John, I very much appreciate your insight into this. I'm glad you have it. You're one of the very few people who understands the issues plaguing us. So thank you. No problem. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for tuning in. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point. You're listening to Global News Radio. Right.